Welcome to everyone. Again, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it's my privilege on many Sundays to bring God's Word. An important part of how we worship together is being before His Word. Uh, it's really amazing. The infinite, eternal God of the universe has given us His book that we might know what He thinks, what He wants us to know about Himself and about life, all the important, most important aspects of life are addressed in this wonderful book. And so, of course, with this gift of His Word, we take time to listen to Him. We are going through a series right now as a church, uh, looking at the topic of what does the Bible say about how we ought to worship together, uh, and looking at different aspects of that. Normally, we spend time just going through books of the Bible, so we'll be starting that. Actually, it's in October, I think. We're starting into the book of Romans, and we'll be there for a little while. But right now, we're looking at this important topic. And so today I want to talk about the uh, practice of giving thanks. And the title of the message is, We Must Give Thanks. Uh, we must give thanks, really, to the God who rescues us. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 40. And it's a wonderful psalm about this. And as I thought about this psalm and, and the giving thanks for God's rescue, I was thinking about our church and all the examples in our church of rescues, all the examples that I've seen as a pastor, this room is full of stories of God's rescue. All sorts of stories. We've seen some wonderful things in our church through the years. We've seen God heal uh, of terminal cancer and rescue someone from terminal cancer. We've seen him help people going through things like heart attacks, um, being on life support and, and, uh, and unlikely to live, yet God bringing life. We've seen God uh, restore broken families and marriages. We've seen, I've seen God rescue uh, people from uh, overdose and, and deliver them and then bring them to fruitfulness in the Lord. And most importantly, of course, uh, this room is full of people who have experienced God's rescue from sin and separation from God. And so there's lots of real-life examples of this psalm that we're going to look at and this reality that we, we belong to a God who rescues us, and therefore we must give thanks. And that's what I want to talk about. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this psalm and learn from God's Word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who rescues us. You deliver us from so many different things, all these different circumstances and more. Lord, you are a God who rescues us, and most importantly, you rescue us from our sin and our separation from you, that we might be forgiven and have eternal life and belong to you. So I pray, Lord, as we look at this psalm, would you stir us up in gratitude? Would you stir us up to be aware of your rescue and to be those that want to give thanks? And Lord, would you lead us as a church, as a congregation, as an assembly on Sundays to give you thanks? Teach us through your word. Help me to teach well and proclaim your word and Lord, speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 40 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. 
You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. God's word from Psalm 40. And I want to take us through this psalm and look at what it teaches us about giving thanks. I want us to learn how how important thanksgiving is to our Sunday worship together. This psalm tells us, teaches us that we must give thanks on Sundays. And it gives us three aspects of that. We must give thanks for God's rescue. We must give thanks publicly. We must give thanks to fuel hope. So let's dig in and learn. First, we must give thanks for God's rescue. This psalm is about God's rescue from beginning to end. The psalmist, David, talks about situations that he's been in that have been really difficult, really hard, really overwhelming sorts of situations. And he talks about what God does, his deliverance. And so it talks of God's rescue. Rescue, of course, is always from a bad situation to a good situation. We talk about, as Christians at times, that that we're saved. Uh, Sometimes we use that word and it's somewhat abstract. Like, what do you mean you're saved? What does that mean, you're saved? And normally, right, if we say we're saved, it means we're, we're rescued. We're rescued from a bad situation and delivered to something good. And that's what this psalm is talking about. This reality that God is a God who saves us, who rescues us, who intervenes in our lives, in our difficult situations, and draws us out of that place to a better place. That's what this psalm is talking about. There's a deliverance that goes on, right? And David describes it here. He describes the bad place. It's a pit of destruction, It's a miry bog. It's a dark and dirty place. It's a place that's overwhelming. It's a a place where he's sinking. He's drowning in some sort of terrible situation. It's a pit of destruction. It's meant to be an image of, of 
or of an experience that David's going through. We don't, we don't know what that experience might be, but it speaks for many experiences. Being stuck in a place that's dark and overwhelming, that's full of terrible things. It's a miry bog. It's full of destruction. Think of, a, of a, being stuck in a smelly cesspool, cesspool of circumstances. That's what David's speaking of here. Whether they're of his own making or imposed on him, he's stuck in this pit of terrible things. And it speaks to the reality for many of us, really, for all of us. We all find ourselves at times in miry bogs, in, in pits of destruction. There's all different types of, of miry bogs. It can be things, the, the, the consequences of poor choices, things like drugs or alcohol addictions, things like illicit sex or sexual perversion, things like bitterness, hurt, pain, things like anger, disappointment, worldliness. There's all sorts of miry bogs that we can find ourselves in. And at times, it's not till we've been in there quite a while do we begin to think we need a rescue. God has a way of allowing circumstances to, to have their way in our lives so that we might, res- might realize that we need rescue, like David. That we might see that we're in a miry bog and we need to be rescued from it. David speaks of this in the beginning and then he goes on to speak of another situation that he ends up in as well. He, he says later in verse 12, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. He's in sort of some situation here that is a result of his iniquities and the evils with those iniquities. He speaks later in verses 13 and 15 of of his enemies around him as well. There are people who are are happy that he's in a bad situation. And he's looking for God to deliver him from those who would say to him, ha, aha, aha, there you are, you deserve it. Now, we don't know exactly what it was for David, but if you know the story of King David... He certainly had lots of situations like this. And, and some of the worst situations are described in, in the Word. And if you know the story of David, you know that there were some really dark moments in his life where he got himself into deep trouble. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He, he took her to himself. And then he had her husband killed in battle. So adultery... And murder committed by the king. And God exposed that. And David repented. But then God brought consequences to him. Connected to that. And later there was a coup that happened with his own son leading the coup. His son Absalom. And so this miry pit, or at least the second circumstance, may be part of that. The first miry pit might be when he realized that he had done these terrible things and now he was stuck in his sin and needed rescue. And the psalm speaks of God's rescue. But then later, maybe the the second situation, is that coup that happened later. And we know this story about David, and it's the reason I cite is, is so that we would recognize it doesn't get much muckier and darker and more evil 
and more heinous than the sins that David committed. Unless we look at this psalm and think, well, that's for David. His, his sin wasn't as bad as mine. I would say, well, I don't think so. His sin was pretty serious. Adultery and murder. And he's the king. And yet David knows that the Lord is there to rescue him out of that miry pit. To take him out of that place. To intervene. To draw him up. To, to, to come and rescue him from his sin and his situation. And so we should take note of that ourselves. And, and realize this God that we serve is a, is a God who's an amazing God. Full of mercy and grace and kindness. And there is no pit too deep and too dark for Him to rescue us. There's no limit to, this, to what we might do to get ourselves into trouble and have Him deliver us. He can always deliver. He can intervene into the darkest pits, the, the most complex situations. The, he can come in those moments where we feel there's no way ever to get out of it and rescue us. He's a God who rescues us if we would only look to Him. And so in the psalm, David speaks of this first miry bog, this pit of destruction. And he remembers God rescuing him. And he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He says before that, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So God pulls him out of the metaphoric miry bog, this situation, his sins, the darkness, whatever is going on there, and sets his feet where? Upon a rock. He puts him in a solid place. He puts him in a place of relief and rescue so he can now sing and rejoice. He can know God's goodness. He's in a place of forgiveness and peace and joy and thanksgiving. This is what God does. This is the God who rescues us, who comes and intervenes into these darkest places and brings us out of that place into the place of forgiveness and peace and fresh starts and security and joy. This is who our God is. This is what He does in our lives. And so David can say in Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's amazing what our God does. It's amazing how He rescues us from situations and our sin and brings us to this place of new life and forgiveness. This is who He is. This is what His Word tells us. This is what this psalm teaches us. Our God rescues us. He continues to do this. Now, this psalm is written by David. He's the king. And, and this psalm ultimately points to a better king. Because this psalm is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 10, speaking of Jesus. When David says here that it's written of you, uh, I have, behold, I have come, verse 7, in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Now David, in that section, is probably referring to Deuteronomy 17, where it talks about the king. The king ought to be a man who reads the law, who, who honors God. And so David recognizes that for him, as the king, 
This is who he is. This is what he's called to. And, and, and his experience of doing this and being obedient is because he's been rescued. Because he's experienced God's grace. Because God has drawn him up. He wants to continue to walk with the Lord and to live by his word and to exemplify this. But in Hebrews 10, it points to a better king because David was an imperfect king. David failed. And, and though this speaks of forgiveness for David and rescue from David's situation, there is a fulfillment of what that rescue is in Christ. So Hebrews 10, 5-7 speaks of Christ. It quotes this psalm. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So these verses here point ultimately to Christ as the fulfillment of these things. And we, we must recognize that ultimately the, the rescue that goes on here for David, it's, it's his sin, it's his circumstances, but it points to a deeper and eternal rescue that Christ brings for us as the perfect king, as the perfect man, who comes without any of his own sin. There's no miry bog that Jesus gets himself into because of his choices. There is no sin in his life. He is sinless. He's faithful. He's perfect. And he needn't intervene in our lives to rescue us because, because we don't deserve it. We ourselves are in miry pits often of our own making. Jesus is sinless. And yet, in the great mercy and love of God, Christ comes in to our situation. He comes into the world. And he identifies with us in the psalm. He identifies with us in our miry pits, in these places of darkness. And he comes as the perfect sinless one, the, the perfect king, to humble himself, to get down into the miry pit with us. To take upon himself our sin. To share our sorrow. And as God in the flesh, the perfect human, to bear that to the cross. He performs the ultimate rescue for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, For our sake, He, speaking of God, the Father, for our sake, He made Him, speaking of Jesus, for our sake, He made Him to be sin. Who knew no sin. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, the Father with the Son and the power of the Spirit made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He went to that cross and the amazing thing that happened there on that cross is that the perfect Son of God, God in the flesh, took on Himself your sin, my sin. In such a way, He identified with us in such a way that, that 2 Corinthians 5 could say, He made Him to be sin. The miry pits that we have created, the, the sins that we have done, the sorrows that we experience as well were all poured out on Christ on that cross. And he took on himself our sin in such a way that he became sin. 
the one who knew no sin, bore in himself our sins in all of their graphic detail, all of their horror, all of their evil, all the things that we've done, and the things that we're not even aware of that we've done. How we've fallen short of the call to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another. All the things that we've done that are contrary to that, which are innumerable, were put on Christ on the cross. And he was besmirched by the mire himself called sin on the cross. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. There was this amazing exchange there. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He died for you. He suffered and died for your sins. That in him your sins would be forgiven. The, the perfect justice of God was poured out on Christ. That the penalty for sin that you and I deserve to pay was paid by Christ. He took upon himself our sin, bore that sin, died for that sin, suffered and died for that sin, so that in him now, through faith in him, we could be counted righteous. We could be forgiven for that sin. And not only that, we could be credited with the righteousness of Christ himself. So that through simple faith, through simply turning from our own sin and trusting in Christ, we are so united with Him that we are, our sin is credited to Him. He bears it. He pays for it. It's gone. It's finished, He said on the cross. And now when the Lord looks at us, He says, this one is righteous like my son Jesus. There's no better rescue than that. There's no, no more dramatic miry bog and rock to be set upon than that truth of the gospel. This psalm is fulfilled ultimately in Christ and it is fulfilled for you and for me. It's amazing. The Word of God here is for us through Christ, through faith. What a story. What a, what a true testimony for us to remember and to celebrate. We must give thanks because of God's rescue. We must give thanks because of His rescue. The story is told of two brothers who loved playing in a large sand pit near their house. One day they were in the pit after some excavating had been done and they fell into a sinkhole. They heard the screams of one of the brothers and the neighbors came running and they found the younger brother buried up to his neck in sand and they frantically asked, where's your big brother? The younger brother answered with tears, he's underneath me, holding me up. Jesus is that big brother. He has entered into our pit. And He holds us up. And He rescues us. This is the amazing truth of the Gospel. This is the fulfillment of the psalm that we see here. This is all that we have. And so, let us receive it as for us. Let us be aware of the rescue God brings for us. Let, it, let the truth of this rescue propel us in thanksgiving. For in Christ, we are fully rescued. And, and certainly, this ultimate rescue is mirrored in the, all the other ways that He rescues us as well. He's a God who intervenes in our life again and again and again. He's a God who rescues. But this most dramatic rescue is to be the centerpiece for us of His rescue. And it is to propel us in thanksgiving. 
So I don't know what your miry bogs are recently. I don't know the details of your pits of destruction. We all fall into them. And you might be stuck in one right now. But our God rescues us. Our God delivers us. Our God enters into that situation with us. To be there with us and to draw us out. I can say that for sure because I know this psalm teaches us this. I can say it for sure because I know Christ fulfills it. I, know, I can say it for sure because if he did that for us in the worst situation, our sin and what it brings, then he will do it for us in every other situation. He delivers us. He rescues us. He uses all things for our good. Even the miry pits we may find ourselves in right now that are circumstantial miry, miry pits, he promises to use for our good. He is a God who rescues us. Therefore, we must give thanks. That's what propels us. That's what powers us in our thanksgiving. Let me continue to, to the point of our series as well. And the point we see here in Psalm 40. We must give thanks publicly. So we are to be fueled in thanksgiving by this rescue that we receive in all the different sub-rescues, if we can call them that, that he works in our lives. We're to be fueled by that, and, and it's to find its fulfillment in many ways. We're to, to live a life full of thanksgiving. We're to be people who are full of gratefulness because of what he's done. But we are also to, to, take, to take that and go public with our thanksgiving as well. That's what this psalm teaches us about. You see, there's no way, there's no way not to overflow in some outward way, when God has worked these things in our lives. There's no way not to do that. Certainly, it's to be in our own hearts. And David speaks of that. But he also says, I've not hidden this, right? I've not, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. Isn't that interesting? Psalm 40, verse 10. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. And you might think, well, isn't that a good thing to hide that gratefulness in your heart? But David's saying, I've not done it because that would be a bad thing for me to hide it and not share it. It would be a bad thing for me not to, to say something. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, David says. You have so touched my life and so rescued me that I must tell others about it. I can't hide it in my heart. I must communicate it to others. And, and so I want us to understand that we must give thanks publicly in some way. And of course, yes, there's all different ways to do that. Don't don't get scared right now. I'm not going to force you to come up on stage necessarily to share what he's done. But we must go public in some way if we've truly experienced this sort of rescue. And we must go public in some way because this is who we are. To be human is to be connected relationally with other people. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert, it's just a matter of degree, right? How connected you are to community. We are all meant to be in relationship with others. And so it's just human, of course, that we want to share what's going on in our lives with others. We are made as relational worshipers. That's who we are in the image of God. We're made to worship the Lord, and we're made to do that in community. And so, of course, we must tell others. David can't help go public because it's who we are as humans, as relational worshipers. He can't help go, but go public because... When we share what God has done in our lives, it enhances our own understanding of it. This is a truth that, that is in Scripture and in reality. Philemon 6, Paul says to Philemon, he says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is 
in us for the sake of Christ. What he's saying is, Philemon, I pray that you might share what you have so that you'll really understand what you have. If you want to understand what you have, give it away. Share it with others. Tell others about it. It enhances your own experience, the depth of your own understanding when you start telling others about what God has done, when you share what's happened. And there's all sorts of ways to share, of course, uh, what Paul in Philemon 6, I think, applies that to many ways. But for our point, when we go public with our thanksgiving, it enhances our understanding and experience of it. C.S. Lewis, as he reflects on the Psalms, says this, It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. Or to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. If it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate, that is, to love and delight in, the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. That soul would be supremely happy. This is his, these are his comments on the Psalms as he reflects on this point. We must go public with our thanksgiving because it increases our joy and our own gratitude. Why else? Why else? What does this, this psalm teach us about why else to do that? There's things going on in this psalm that are instructive to us about why I give thanksgiving publicly. Da David says in verse 3, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When I tell my story... Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Later on in verse 16, he says, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. When we share our stories of God's rescue with others, it touches their lives and it glorifies God. That's what David's getting at here. We must go public with our thanksgiving in order to glorify God. This is how God gets glorified among the many ways. This is how God gets glorified in our lives as we tell others. Many will see and fear. What does David mean that? Will they be afraid of God in some cowering way? No. They will come to respect God. They will see that this is a God who's alive and who's mighty and who intervenes in people's lives. He doesn't leave them there. He actually is active and alive. They will see and they will learn to revere God and they will put their trust in the Lord as a result of going public with our stories of rescue. God gets glorified as we share our stories. Why else? Well, it's connected here, right? Because God is getting glorified. Why? Because people's lives are touched. People's lives are transformed by these stories. People hear your story about God's rescue and realize, He can do this for me too. He must be really good. He must be glorious. I want to put my trust in Him as well. Lives are touched through the sharing of our stories of rescue. And who knows how God might use your story? And it could be a small story. It could be a grand story. It could be an amazing story. It could be just like, this is how God helped me this week. Some small way. 
And God can use all that to touch lives. You don't know. You don't know what's going on in that other person. You don't know how God's going to use that. And so expect all sorts of things. I was watching uh, the testimony this week of Lacey Sturm. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a hard rock vocalist, one of, the, one of the best, actually. And she shares her story. When she was 16 years old, she, she was ready to commit suicide. She was going to do it that evening. Her life was full of pain. was caught up in confusion and sin. She actually hated Christians at that point, but found herself actually in a church just to satisfy her grandmother who said, please go to church. She didn't want to be there. She was planning that night to kill herself. But in church, this old man, an unlikely person, shared with her with tears the reality of God's love for her. And she was a very hardened person. But God broke through all the pain, the hurt, the hate, the sin. And she didn't take her life that night. She woke up the next day and began a new life in Christ. And if you know about her now, she's married with kids. She continues to sing with her husband and share Christ. Uh, she's had some many top songs. She's written a book and she's working on a movie to tell her story to others. We must go public with our thanksgiving because it touches lives. We must go public with our worship because with our thanksgiving because it's part of worship, part of worshiping together. It's part of what God calls us to do when we come together like this. This psalm instructs us in this. David says here, right? He talks about going public, but how does he do that? Verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have, been, I, have, um, I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. What's the great congregation? The word for congregation there is the same word that's used in the New Testament for church. It's the assembly of the church. Now in the Old Testament, that was at the temple or the tabernacle. And so David is saying that, that, Lord, you have so worked in my lives. I've been so affected by your rescue. You know that I've told others. I've gone to church and testified about what you've done. I've gone to the tabernacle and proclaimed your, your goodness and your glory. I've told my story. I've given thanks. I've gone to the great congregation. And I think we should take note there to recognize that our thanksgiving must include going public in this way, in some way. Now, it doesn't mean everybody on every Sunday comes up on the stage or something like that, but there needs to be an element of public thanksgiving and testimony as part of the worship of God. David does that. He talks of that. He talks of giving testimony in worship. And it was part of their worship that there would, would have been public testimony. Now, that's David, right? He's the king. And maybe he had some special way of doing this as king, special privilege, but I, I think the principle, whether we're David or not, we're not David, the principle still applies. This idea of there being public thanksgiving. Now, there's all sorts of ways we can do that, but within our Sunday worship, what does it look like? How can we do this? Well, let me talk about some ways to do that. First off, our thanksgiving should go public as we sing corporately. 
we sing together about what God has done. And we are to go public. Now, we may not, you know, in the song, share our personal story, but our thanksgiving should be public. There should be an aspect of our singing that we're not just me singing by myself here. I happen to be with a bunch of other people singing of God's goodness. No, there should be a public aspect of this. We, we should be expressive. We should be sharing our gratitude in, in, in our voices, but in our posture as well. There should be a, a, a fitting expressiveness as we give thanks to the Lord in song. If we understand the depth of the rescue that he's performed in our lives and the goodness of us now, then, then our expressiveness in song should be fitting, right? I mean, when something amazing happens, you respond. We all respond. And so singing together, going public in our thankfulness for you might just mean that you start lifting your hands up when you sing. We're never going to force you to lift, lift your hands. We're not going to tell you this is what it has to look like. But I don't think it looks like this or like this. Right? There are times maybe it does, but, but there, it needs to be this. It needs to be maybe clapping or whatever is appropriate for you. And, and I know that gets scaled according to who we are. I'm not trying to say you must do it this way, but... But I would guess, knowing myself and knowing most of us, that our singing isn't always appropriately expressed for what we're singing about and what God has done in our lives. And so I just want to encourage us to be properly expressive and get past whatever barriers are there, whatever unwritten codes are there for how you must perform in church. You know, let's make this a little bit more like what what Gillette Stadium looks like on a Sunday instead of something else, right? Let us be appropriately expressive to the Lord. Sure, let's not be a distraction to others, but, but let us not be hindered either when we get the, the, how amazing His rescue is for us in Christ and how He works in our lives again and again to intervene and to, to help us in desperate situations. When we understand His deliverance, we must express it in singing appropriately. Secondly, we have a microphone up here every Sunday. And that's for congregational sharing. Now it, we've talked about prophecy and New Testament prophecy. It has a, an important place in our corporate worship. Um, but it's also, that mic is also there for you to simply come up and say, can I just share what God's done for me this week? Can I just share how awful things were and how the Lord intervened? And it can be, be just a real short thing. It can be like, God's been so good to me this week, I just want to say thank you, Lord. It can be that simple. It might be a little more involved. But let me encourage you to go public with your thanksgiving by being ready to sh come on Sundays and share something. Why? It's who we are. We're relational worshipers. Why? Because it glorifies God. Why? Because people's lives are touched. You coming up will help tremendously because... There can be the thought like, well, of course, Pastor Paul, you know, he's supposed to be, do those things. He's supposed to say those things. But when you come to church, maybe you're a new person, and you start hearing not just the pastor, not just the music leader, but people who are just part of the congregation coming up and talking about how God has rescued them, it starts to open your eyes up and you start to realize, wow, maybe this is really true. It can just be simple. It can be longer. Just come up and talk to Pastor Toby, may we have a long line every Sunday. 
let, let Pastor Toby help you with that. Don't, don't like pre-guess it ahead of the time. That's always the propensity, right? Ah, this isn't good enough to go public on. That's not your job. Just come up and tell Toby, hey, here's what it is. Let him help you. I would imagine 99.9% .9 of the people who come up, their stories are going to be told. Let us go public in this way. Thirdly, we want to do more to have regular testimonies on Sundays. This is for a longer sharing of your story of rescue. And we want to do it at least monthly, if not more, to make time in our worship service for people to share maybe five minutes, just their story. And again, it doesn't have to be like, you know, uh, some amazing story like, you know, I was in Siberia and, you know, and they were doing this and, you know, something happened. I mean, it can just be, here's my story of, of how I've struggled this past year and how God's met me even as I've felt so weak. My story of how God's helped me through COVID. My story of how God's helped me in my marriage or my family. Whatever it might be. There's, there's, in this size of an audience, we, we could do this every Sunday. Like three people every Sunday throughout the whole year. There's plenty of material here. Let me encourage you, like David, to go public with your thanksgiving. So, three ways I want you to think about. Singing expressively. Sharing at the mic. Being part of those who would share their testimony. And then with that, please pray. Please pray that God works to increase our gratitude as a church. I, I'm so grateful for the gratitude that's here. Don't get me wrong. But we can be an even more thankful people. We can be an even more expressive people. We can have even more people come and share what he's done and share testimonies. Please pray for this as well. It's such an important part of our worship to be overflowing in thankfulness because his rescue is so amazing and he's so faithful. Final point in the psalm. This psalm is, is intended not only to look back at what God has done with faith. Looking back at what God has done with faith is what we call thankfulness. Right? When we see what he's done, we realize that's the Lord. That's thankfulness. It's also meant to look forward. Giving thanks. We must give thanks to fuel hope. That's what's going on here. David is experiencing this himself. He's recounting how God's rescued him. He's remembering this rescue and he's talking about what it's done in his heart so that he can now go and ask for another rescue. The reality is we don't stop needing rescue. It's not one rescue and we're done. Though the rescue of Christ is eternally established and when we belong to him, we are safe. But we're still going to bump into circumstances. We're still going to bump into temptations. We might still find ourselves struggling with some of the sins that marked our lives before we knew Jesus, even now. We're going to be in miry bogs again and again. And thankfulness, personally, and thankfulness, experiencing thankfulness on Sundays from others will fuel your hope for the future. David talks about this other circumstance. I already talked about it earlier. He's in some other circumstance of his own making. There's some sort of sin and evil that he's brought on himself and he has enemies now against him. And he's fueled by remembering past rescue to trust God for future rescue. Thanksgiving fuels hope. And we all need hope. 
You can't survive without it. And so this principle is throughout Scripture. We see it here in Psalm 40. I think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1. He speaks of something similar. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's a miry bog, right? He's in a miry bog with his team, despairing of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. It doesn't get much worse than that. And then he says this, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. To make ourselves rely not on ourselves when we're in the miry pit, but to look up to the God who rescues. To look up to the God who raises the dead. And he says this, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Going public with thanksgiving fuels our hope for the future. And we all need hope. We can't live without it. I've shared this illustration before. It illustrates this truth, I think, well. Johns Hopkins professor Kurt Richter in the 50s conducted an experiment with wild rats. These wild rats are renowned for their endurance and their ability to swim. And he trapped some rats and then dropped them into a jar of water and watched what happened. Within minutes of entering the water, the wild rats began to drown. He then tweaked the experiment. This time, before they were expected to drown, he picked them up, held them for a while, and then put them back in the water. In this way, he wrote, the rats quickly learned that the situation is not actually hopeless. This small interlude of rescue made a huge difference. The rats that experienced a brief reprieve swam much longer and lasted much longer than rats that were left alone. They also recovered almost immediately when they were lifted out. When they learned that they were not doomed, that the situation was not lost, that there might be a helping hand at the ready, they had reason to keep swimming. They did not give up. Now, of course, there are huge differences between rats and people. Please don't be insulted. I don't imply anything there. But we all need a reason to keep swimming. We have that reason in our God who rescues. And we all need the reminder of His rescue. That's what Thanksgiving does. That's why it's important. That's why it's important on Sundays. We should come here on Sundays and find fresh reason to keep on swimming. Sunday after Sunday. So in conclusion, let me encourage you to consider some applications. First, others need your stories of rescue. Others need your stories of rescue. Will you fuel the hope of others so that they will keep on swimming? You can do that one-on-one for sure. But you can do that on Sundays as well. Second application is you need a reason to keep on swimming. So be here on Sundays. This should be one of the chief ways that you are encouraged and find fresh hope. And you need to be here in person. I understand there are certain mitigating circumstances with COVID or otherwise where watching online is, is, makes the most sense. We get that. But that's not nearly as good as being here 
in, presence, in the presence of God's people and the presence of the Spirit among us and watching and seeing and hearing somebody share their story. So this is going to be, we are committed to being a people of Thanksgiving on Sundays in song and Lord willing in testimony and sharing. So be here with us and find a reason to keep swimming Sunday after Sunday. Find strength in the worship of God's people. And third point, can you pray and prepare for Sundays? Pray and prepare. And you might not feel like you have anything. That's okay. But you can still pray for God to stir others up and say, Lord, I want to be stirred up however you want me to be. Help me to remember the stories that I ought to tell. Pray and prepare for Sundays. And come ready to worship God together through Thanksgiving. Let me pray, and then just want to take a minute, if you could, as the band comes up, and we prepare to transition to communion, if we could just be silent, maybe bow your head if that helps. Just think, Lord, what do you want me to do? In light of Psalm 40, in light of your word, in light of these truths, what can I do? Just to take a moment to pray. But I'll pray first, and we'll do that. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 40. We thank you for how you help us through this gift of thanksgiving. Your rescue for us is amazing. You continue to rescue us. We want to be reminded of that again and again. We want to have fresh hope and strength in you as well. Use us to do that for one another as we worship. Guide us, grow us in this, and glorify your worthy name, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Just take a minute or so. Be before the Lord. Consider what he wants you to do. Then Pastor Toby will transition us to communion.